You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest... Hi, everyone. Annie here for Showreel, looking at things related to the Australian film industry. Today, a film called Lion Spy. The world we live in has only 20,000 wild lions. South African-born and Australian-raised filmmaker Rogue Rubin's aim was to find out how it was possible for this polis position to have come about and how lions could be saved. This led her to trophy hunting. Lion Spy is an investigative report which takes us into the belly of the beast as well as the revelation of some unsavoury truths about broader issues behind why lions are headed to the endangered animals list. I spoke to Rogue about her extraordinary film. I will start with um, asking you about uh, your filmmaking background. How did you get into film? How did I get into filmmaking? Right. Um, Gosh. Uh, So I walked onto stage at age seven years old um, in uh, South Africa. And I can't remember the show and I thought, this is really amazing. You can really touch an audience. You can really make people feel things. Um, And that is honestly where it began. Oh, that's fantastic. And so then you decided to get some skills. Yes, (laughs) exactly. So I studied theatre, a lot of Stanislavski, Brecht, Shakespeare, um, throughout my life and then I would say more as a teenager I got more interested in the logistics of actual films and filmmaking and directing rather than simply being a thespian. Yeah you wanted to be controlling the um, the media. Narrative. Yes I was more yes I wanted to and, and understand it more there's so much more going on. Yeah at age 14 I started you know, walking around with a camera and filming things um, and created the first yearbook for the school, the film video yearbook for the school. And then I I would say I digressed. I felt that um, that my path, that maybe this wasn't really my path and it's a very overwhelming decision to go into filmmaking. It's a very overwhelming career, I think, and it's certainly a difficult career um, on any level, whatever side you choose in media, as you would know. And so I, um, I went, went to, the, uh, to university, studied other things, um, and I came back to it. Um, I was still, that was involved in the, ended up being involved in the entertainment industry and other avenues, and then came back and did my master's degree in film. Um, and after that, just that was it, that hook, line and sinker. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. And, and 
the interesting thing is that you decided on uh, making a documentary, but you decided that you're going to make something about something that you wanted to change people's opinions and views about things. Well, I always, to me, filmmaking was always about um, your audience and, and views and, and how you can tell stories that impact people. Um, for me, it was always about how can I affect and change the world and make, you know, social justice. And I, and I had, I've had the distinct pleasure of, of working with and getting to know amazing documentarians such as Morgan Spurlock, Super Size Me, Michael Moore, 9-11, Sicko, James Marsh, Man on Wire, Louisa Hoyas, The Cove. So these are all acclaimed um, either documentary winners. And so I really was a part of that universe and that world prior to setting off to make my own and also worked, um, directed and produced a lot of unscripted uh, being documentaries for television um, and reality uh, in the United States. And so... This film was about finally taking the leap and saying what is a cause that I'm willing essentially to die for was I needed to refine purpose because it, the industry to me started to become a little bit more about the other things um, and they're not and they're not the things I care about. I wanted to do something that I that I really cared about. And, and the interesting thing about uh, Lion Spy is that. Uh... Being interested in logistics, but also in having impact, you've actually sat down and thought, how can I actually create uh, an impact? So the, the whole process of attacking this particular issue is you've made it very dramatic, I'll have to say, and placing yourself right in the centre of it. Tell us about how you came up with the narrative framework. So, look, any documentary you you start with, you start with what are you the subject matter, and the subject matter to me was that um, I'm someone who loves conservation, loves animals. Um, I knew elephants were going extinct with fifty thousand left in the wild. I knew rhino were going extinct with thirty thousand, but I had no idea that the lion in the wild was going extinct. So this blew my mind. And so I, it simply started out uh, on a research quest to understand this. And I went actually to South Africa to interview conservationists. Um, so as you say, as logistical as I am, documentaries are, they become more logistical in post. Um, but is it, is what you're seeing, what you're seeing is the truth. Like it's not, it's not hyped up. I mean, you think about it simply as a female, um, someone who identifies as a woman, um, that you don't run around with men you don't know. You don't. You just don't do it. You don't. You certainly. I mean, it's it's traveling 101. It's life 101. Don't get into a car with strange men you don't know. Don't go to places you don't know that you can't pronounce. So if there's an element of you know fear, thriller, risque. Um, that is not dramatized. That's just reality that my life turned into something that you see in, you know, in films. And here it is. Um, <laughs> um, but the, the logistics um, are, were, were documentaries on, are, are understood through research, understood through conversations, understood through time. Um, I don't think, I think to, I think 
a documentary that's is that is overly produced beforehand would not be a good documentary well you know the the whole idea of um creating your own persona in order to be able to actually enter this world was a, a terrifically um uh intelligent approach i'll have to say <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. I'll take it. I'll, if you let me, give me a second as well while I go tell my dad. <laughs> um, uh, so that was once again, like, I want to take more credit for that, but I can't because it was, hey, I want to understand these people. As a documentarian, um, I want to understand these people. Um, and I shouldn't just say document. I'm not just a documentarian. I'm a filmmaker. I just did a romantic comedy as well. I've done so many other genres. Um, but as a sincere um, person interested in the human condition, interested in conservation, I needed to understand what was going on. And I requested to meet with these, with trophy hunters. I requested to understand the process. I requested to know, are you the problem? Um, and they didn't want to talk to me. And so it was really just about, please have a conversation with me. Please show me your life. And let's go from there. And they they didn't want to. So it was as simple as, okay, well, who would you want to talk to? Oh, I know. You'd want to talk to someone who loves trophy hunting as much as you do. And you certainly wouldn't want to talk to a vegetarian. That I understand. That's not fair, but I understand it. <laughs> so that is where the logistics came from of going, okay, what type of person would you want to talk to? What type of person would you embrace? Let me embrace that type of person and let's have a conversation. I think it's quite... Uh fascinating that uh, the uh, people who are trophy hunters um, hide behind issues like uh, like the man who said, oh, I do it because um, it's good exercise. Now, every one of these people <laughs> were actually quite beefy and uh, unexercised people as a general rule. Um, hmm. I don't want to... I don't know if I should be commenting on that, but yeah, I think there's definitely um, somewhat of a farce in, in 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 what's going on. It's not a fair fight. You can't say that when you come up with a high-powered rifle and that you have these big trucks and you have helicopters and everything else that it's a fair fight to any animal. So yeah, get on the ground. Um, you know, uh, get your hands out. Uh, you know, literally, take your hands. And now run at the line. Let's make this a fair fight. Um, and, you know, whoever wins, that sounds fair to me. Um, that's a fair fight. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I, I have empathy with this uh, uh, analysis. Uh, I mean, hunting uh, on uh, and uh, following the signs and uh, uh, putting food on your table and that sort mm. of stuff is quite a different issue from what these people are yes. identifying with. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing it up because I'm really, I do really emphasize that and I'm clear about that, that this is not about hunting. This is specifically about trophy hunting, which is, by the way, something that um, a large proportion of professional hunters don't agree with. A large proportion of professional hunters, they would not go on record. Very, very noted, um, well-known hunters um, are very anti hunting lions specifically and and the way it's done um and i was devastated they wouldn't go on record but i understand and have to respect it because they didn't want to um you know they probably would have lost their jobs 
um, and they're quite they're quite high up there and they're getting well paid and money on the you know food on the plate for their children but uh, that's part of it and um, even there was and and then once again uh, they they have their own world. And so, like, there are people that you meet there that you're like, oh, this is this person isn't famous, but to them, this person is like Brad Pitt. So I met the Brad Pitt of the hunting world, and he said, look, the problem partly with hunting is that you can't legislate morality. And I thought it was one of the most profound things I'd ever heard. It was a brilliant comment. You can't legislate morality. And he's absolutely right. But what we can legislate is we can stop trophy hunting of lions being legal. Because it's a legal sport. And if we make it illegal, then that means that you can't import them into, um, into the world. It is, it is illegal to import into Australia. It's the only place it's illegal to import to. And people want their trophies. That's what it's all about to them, a trophy. Um, because that creates, I guess, uh, that's, their, that's their story. That's their, there's so many other words I've got here that I'm not going to use. People can use their imagination. Um, that's their, that's what they need to show. Um, and as you said, what you brought up a great thing is a guy said, I do it for the exercise. And you said, well, he doesn't look like he's well exercised. Um, and so there's, you know, that's part of the story. That's part of the story told. I ran for a hundred miles. Well, I don't know. Cause I was watching you and I think I, you might've run for about 10 seconds. Uh, I want to get back to the how you actually shot it. Um, I was really quite shocked to see you in the back of your uh, ca- uh, the truck with a zoom. I use a zoom. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us about the equipment uh, that you uh, oh. collected up to be able to do this. Um, sure, pathetic, awful, terrible. <laughs> I mean, I didn't go there, so I didn't start this with the, the desire to film it myself. I thought that I would go shoot a promotional piece with conservationists. The film would be on them. So originally I went to go film. Um, I had various cameras, by the way, throughout the thing, and they grew and grew. And, yes, I had a Zoom. I always used a Zoom and a couple of mics. Um, yeah, a couple of – there was always a couple of different mics in different places. Um and and I had Canon and I had Sony um, and I had uh, little GoPros and uh, other and a Sony I think a Sony GoPro. Um, someone had, no one's asked me this question, so I have to even recall um, all the because because it's really point. hard. I mean, it's really hard to actually get the footage, and you also do this thing where you get other people to shoot you. I yes. mean, which was a great uh, idea. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's so hard to, yeah, thank God my aliases, you know, intern, uh, you know, photographic, uh, doing photography and videography. Otherwise, how else would I have done it? But yes, it was the, the you know, I always thought I would bring in a film crew, which never happened. So it was always about me making sure that I press record. And that sounds silly, but I'm no, telling no. you, you know, in those, yeah, in those, right, in those situations, Sometimes you're shaking and you actually, you know, you have to press record, hold the camera, uh, don't, don't, don't jump when you hear the gunshot. Uh, this is what's going on. So sometimes people ask me, you know, about certain scenes and I go, well, there was a bit of disassociation mm. because I was so busy thinking, don't jump when you hear a loud gunshot. Try and, try and you know, hold the camera in place. I mean, there was, there was, there's, there's entire scenes that were shot where, 
I, I have to be honest and tell you, the sunlight was so harsh I couldn't actually see what I was filming properly. I was just pointing the camera and hoping that I was getting some of those pictures um, because the sunlight was so harsh or because I, as you see, I'm running to try and catch up. So I'm just suddenly throwing the camera down. Um, you want to talk about the person really getting the exercise? That was me, the person holding all the camera equipment and running. Yeah. I was the one definitely getting exercise. Um, so... I mean, because the thing about it is, is that this is actually very confronting and quite disgusting. Mm. And so mm. as a person who's actually uh, creating media, you have to be mm. in uh, second person or third person in order to be able mm. to actually get the result. Absolutely true. Well said. Thank you so much. Yeah, you it's a disassociation that occurs because you're also putting a camera between yourself and the action. And even just think if people think it's to themselves, okay, I'm watching something on television, I'm not really there. Well, when you're behind a camera, you can also take a bit of that pose and remove yourself a bit from the situation. Um, and so that really helps with the process. And then, and then, yeah, as you said, you know, sometimes it's like, here, hold the camera or you, you know, there became a point in time where I realized, okay, I need to document a bit of myself. So, you know, here's a very wobbly, you know, view of my double chin as I'm running. Uh, it's the best I got for you. Um, but yeah, there is, it, it, it's a lot of technical going on as well. It's not just the emotion, there's technical occurring. And there's times, there's many times I forgot to press record, couldn't press record, like a billion times I wasn't able to film amazing, amazing conversations that, People are, you know, my editors were always like, well, where's that? Because I didn't edit it. And they were like, well, that sounds great. Where's that? And I go, well, that, that, that's when the camera crew come. We're going to get that. And that's the joke, <laughs> you know, this, right? My, mythi my mythical camera crew. Um, so, so there is that. Um, and then some of, uh, there are some, look, there is some B-roll in there that uh, is just not shot by me at all. Uh, there is B-roll in there that's not shot by me um, of, you know, sometimes when you're seeing just beautiful shots, like, and I don't, I don't purport to say it's mine. Um, I'm showing you just beautiful lions yeah. um, and that came, you know, and that Links. did come from, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. And that came from, yeah, that came from a, a now friend that I made through the process um, who goes to on safaris all the time. And I said, how many, how many lions you got, mate? Um, because I was, I was, you know, I wasn't able to do everything. It's a big shocker, right? But yeah, you can't do everything. <laughs> yeah. The other, the other thing is that, um, from a technical point of view, did you, mm. uh, think in the mornings, uh, I need to get these kind of shots or, uh, did, were you just playing it by ear? So the process, I mean, I filmed for a number of years, so it did become, as, as it evolved, it did, the, the, the number of cameras grew. Um, I'll tell you every morning, I mean, every evening and every night, like once again, you're dealing in a third world country. So it's just like, geez, do I have batteries? Can I get things charged? So that's the first thing you're dealing with. Can I get everything charged? Do I have batteries? Is my equipment all here? Do I have enough of everything? Base, that's base camp one. Is it like, and it could never be like a huge amount of equipment because I'm quite a small person. Um, and also you can't bring huge amounts of equipment on this. Um, it would have been confronting and overwhelming. And, I, and once again, I'm a small person. 
So I found simply running with the equipment I had difficult. So did I think about trust? As it progressed, I did. As it progressed, I said, okay, um, I need to show X, Y, and Z. Yes, I need to, you need to see, you know, we, we know the basics of close up, medium, wide. Um, how can I, how can I bring you this? Yes. So there is just to, just to allow um, my, my viewers, my audience to, to be a part of it. I had, a, I couldn't just, I couldn't just wing that. But that's something that I think as a filmmaker, you become second nature. Um, so if this is, you know, if it's filmmakers listening like that becomes second nature, your shot lists on unscripted and reality become second nature to you. And if it doesn't, keep working till it does. You said that uh, you shot it over a number of years. Uh, you must have developed an um, understanding of how the trophy hunters were uh, presenting themselves as one an, an economic advantage to, as you said, a, an impoverished uh, continent, and uh, also this incredible bullface lie of their conservation credentials. So, firstly, like they truly believe that the economics is in their favour, that if it pays, it stays, and that that their money is going to conservation. That's not disingenuous on their part if you only spend a year on it or two years because there was a part in that process where I believed it too and I read enough papers that support that argument but if I follow the money trail on who wrote those papers then I don't believe it so yeah it becomes it's actually quite a, a difficult issue so I spent years and years researching it and there's as I talk and I'm very open about there's a terrific economist Dr Cameron Murray who just happens to be Australian he's just a a guy who wants to present, you know, the economical facts. And he did um, some wonderful papers on it, um, simply proving that the economics doesn't support the argument. And once again, they say hunter safe, it pays, it stays. And my, you know, and the best way I can say to the general public is, okay, well, they're paying and the lion's not staying. So, <laughs> yeah, right? Like here's it at, at its most basic. So you tell me what's going on here, guys. Um, in other, maybe in other countries where like America, uh, possibly Australia or where we don't have corrupt governments, where there is more ethics, when you have to pay for tags and you have to pay for certain, uh, opportunities on land and everything else, then I would have more belief that that money does go back to conservation, but it doesn't in a third world country. It goes to a select group of individuals. It's also a very disturbing uh, reality that uh, capitalist economics uh, appears to be evaluating nature as, as its servant. I love you. That's the best thing anyone said and got from it um, because absolutely, that is exactly exactly it. Economics is deciding uh, conservation at this point and power is deciding conservation. And we as people need to step up because it's not working we're at such a amazing point in life where if we do nothing the lion will be extinct in the wild the elephant will be extinct the rhino will be extinct i mean and it is because of us so we have an obligation even if we're not in africa we all have an obligation to also do something and an obligation not to allow money and dictatorship and power to control and economics ultimately to control what's occurring 
um, and that can be done through um, knowledge, through sheer knowledge um, and people stepping up and, and it doesn't need to be a big step up. Uh, it was interesting you mentioned the uh, general corruption perhaps in governments in uh, Africa, but you document a very corrupt process within the American establishment when Trump came in and his son, who's a trophy hunter, uh, they actually actively manipulated their uh, de democracy to be allowed to continue trophy hunting. Yeah, certainly when Trump came into power and they created their trophy hunting board or their conservation board filled up with um, major trophy hunters and they went about implementing their version of, it is their version of conservation. But that wasn't just America because that goes all the way as I showed up to the um, IUCN, the International Union of Nature and Conservation. So that's a worldwide issue that we have. It's certainly the Americans are so prolific in it and Trump was so overpowering in it, but it's a worldwide problem that we have, the level of corruption and the people making decisions simply who, what animals should be on the endangered species list. It's not a fair process. It's just like in the same way, it's not a fair fight. Well, it's, a, it's you, you haven't just done a, 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 an incredible documentary, you've done an incredible uh, a report, like it's a, an on-the-ground, uh, up-to-the-minute current affairs report. Uh, I take mm -hmm. my hat off to you. You're very brave. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, if, for me, the, the, the part of the film that you're specifically referring to as well is, is a segment in the film, and it's, it's, it's my favourite segment um, because it connects the dots on why lions um, are not on the endangered species list, what's going on, the corruption that exists worldwide, the corruption that exists in governments, um, in the conservation area. That was years and years of research to try and, you know, bring that together. And then also uh, we're talking about filmmaking and to be able to then articulate, you know, it's one thing to be able to talk about it and riff about it, but it's another to be able to articulate it in a film in a, in a very um, simple manner that people can digest. So it is the, the piece, it is the segment I'm most proud of. So thank you. Yeah, tell me, uh, have you shown the film in, uh, has it had a release in other places? I know it's going to be released here. It's, so it's going to be released uh, in Australia, November 24th, nationwide. And it has not released internationally, that it'll be released uh, internationally next year. Um, so that's something that, yes, I'm excited about. Um, it'll be released um, and then discussing some other little secret things going on with it. Um, so uh, it, it is exciting um, to see what it manages to do and where it manages to go. But of course, a groundswell always starts at base zero. This is base zero, I think Australia. Um, the fact that we're the only country in the world that does not allow the importation of lion trophies, parts and products is huge. So for it to start here is amazing. And then our next obligation um, as a country, I believe, like, wow, we have the ability to to, to save a species. We as a country um, have the ability to save a species. So we start here and, and it moves on from there. And I think I think that's a really exciting um, part of the process. Yeah. It, um, the other thing is you had a, um, 
call to action. Yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Is that the word you were? were yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm trying to work out <laughs> how you how to talk about uh, not buying a cup of coffee. Go on. <laughs> yes, yeah, so my call to action. I want people to leave understanding that there's hope and understanding that there's enough of us and generations who care that we can change what's going on. And I did simple math again. Um, what I discovered is there's about 15 parks in Africa and if we support those 15 parks and they need a management budget, an international management budget and to be internationally overseen um, and they need three to $5 million a year to operate. And what I simply did is I said, okay, America, and by the way, you know, there are facts worldwide, but I just chose America because it was easy. About 280 million cups of coffee are bought a day. So lattes, espressos are bought a day. And if you say, okay, that's probably about, you know, people are spending about four bucks a day, then 280 million times four, you end up with a something billion dollars. Wow. There you go. The species is saved because we then put that money into our 15 parks that, that, I, that I mentioned that are outlined by Panthera, which is one of the um, top scientific lion, um, well, they, they oversee all um, sea lion species. Um, and if we support those parks financially ourselves, um, which is what needs to happen, it needs to be an international obligation, we will save the lion from extinction. So I'm simply saying to people, skip one coffee a year, not more, just one freaking coffee a year. That's four bucks. Instead of buying that $4 coffee, you donate it to one of the causes that I've shown, that I've outlined. Now, on my website at lionsbythefilm.com, if you donate to any of those, um, you, will, you will be saving the line from extinction. And that is something you can be proud of. So I'm not asking for money. It'll take you straight to their website. And I'm saying, hey, four bucks just four bucks don't think don't think about more don't offer more I mean sure offer more if you want but I think we all feel that we have to do something so grandiose you don't four dollars is four dollars is great four dollars is awesome thanks for talking to me today Rogue. oh thank you so much you this has been a wonderful interview and I'm I'm really grateful for your insight thanks mate bye that's it for showreel this week keep safe and talk to you next week You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.